0: I want you to open to Isaiah chapter 61 verse 9. I want to talk today. We're dedicating a building this morning and I want us to talk about not so much raising children but discipling children. I want to talk about what that, is entailed, uh, what, what that entails for the parents to disciple their children and what it means for us as a church corporately to disciple children. It's amazing to me. I see all these things, and I've I, I heard all these guys say, "Look, you need a, you need a vision statement with your children. You need to have all this stuff written down." I'm going to give you the vision statement for your children. It's right here in Isaiah 61, verse nine. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Listen to what he says. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them. Why? Because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. That is the first goal of every parent. That you bring your child to a place where they live out their life under the blessing of God in such a way that according to that, people take notice that God's hand is on their life. Jesus said, I've come to bring life and bring it abundantly. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You really only have two options with your children. They're living where there's the blessing of God on them that people take notice of, or they're living in a way that the enemy has wrecked them. Your job as a parent, now listen to me carefully today, is not to be their friend. If you raise your children, if you live godly in a way that God's blessing your life, and you raise your children to walk the way you're walking, they'll be your friend. But being their friend is a consequence, not a purpose. Your job is to disciple your children. Now, listen. That's your job. It's your prime job. It is not my job. It is not Sherry Maggard's job. It is not Chris Gary's job. It is not Jeremy Lewis's job. Now, we will come alongside. We will hopefully exacerbate what you're doing. But at the end of the day, you're the one responsible for whether or not your kids are discipled. It is not on this church. Now, I'm going to talk at the end about the church's responsibility. But on the whole, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a parent, it is your responsibility to bring your child to the point where God blesses him in a noticeable way. Now, so there are two things you're going to do. Okay? Okay two things. You want your children to find God and to follow God. That's what you want. You want them to find Jesus and to follow Jesus. Now, in finding Him, now parents, just sit back and relax and enjoy the day here. Let me start off with something very clear, okay? I know as a parent, I had two kids. I understand you desperately want them to be saved. But let me explain something. Jesus wants them to be saved way more than you do. So keep that in the back of your head. So, there are a couple things you want to do. Number one, obviously there's a certain truth they need to know. Now every Wednesday afternoon, I spend time with kids. I'm either Talking to them about coming to Christ, I'm questioning about where they say they've come to Christ. We're either I'm either giving them a survival kit now that they've walked with Christ, or I'm grading their survival kit. But Wednesday afternoons, I'm generally in one of those four areas with the kids. So I have a set number of questions uh, that I work through, and I think this is what they have to know. I ask them if uh, to tell me what sin is. Generally, it's something like beating up the brother. Or disobeying mom and dad. Those are, seem salient at the young age. So we talk about that. And I say, does God like your sin? No. Does he like you? Yes. So we want them to understand that. I then talk about the fact, okay, if you have you sinned? Now, mom and dad, don't bring your kid to me if they haven't sinned. Okay? They need to know everybody's sin. It's like some preacher one time was preaching this sermon. He said, if anybody in here thinks they haven't sinned, stand up. And he said, this guy on the back row stands up. And he's just looking at him like this. So the preacher repeats the question. The guy's still standing. Fine. The preacher says, I don't think, sir, you understand my question. I said, is anybody out there that thinks they haven't sinned? Do you think you haven't sinned? And he said, no, I'm standing in honor of my wife's first husband. So, when a kid looks at me and says, I haven't sinned, and that's the next question I ask, have you sinned? And when he looks at me and says, I haven't sinned, I'm not going any further. And you need to understand, if your kid doesn't know he's sinned, he can't come to the cross. That's kind of a biggie. Okay? Now, when I go through that, then I ask if you are a sinner, how do you get rid of that sin? I want them in some wording, it doesn't have to be my wording, but I want them to say to me basically that they have to appropriate Jesus Christ in some way they have to go to God and Jesus for forgiveness and then I ask them, okay, then what did Jesus do that lets him forgive you? I want them obviously to tell me that he died on the cross now that's all they need to know they don't need to know the kenosis or the incarnation. They don't need to know about the trinity. They don't need to understand that. All they need to know is that they've blown it. Jesus didn't. His blood covers them, and they can have it. I want them to know that. Now, they got to know those things. Number two. Mom and dad, number two. Look at the smile. that truth comes from the Holy Spirit through your lips but it comes from the Holy Spirit if it's not coming from the Holy Spirit it's just coming from your lips they can't be saved Jesus said my spirit will convict men about sin righteousness and judgment he didn't say that's true after 21 but before 21 it's up to you no 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 we want to know the Holy Spirit is convicting your children. How do we know that? I think still, I've said this a million times, the best way to know that is to put them off. If your kid comes to you and says, i want to, ba- to get baptized, number one, it's a bad call. He's generally wanting to get baptized because one of his buddies came through that water. It's not a good motivation. It's not a good motivation that he takes the Lord's Supper. The only good motivation, he knows he's bad Jesus, is not he wants to be saved. Now, the way you know, at least one of the ways you're going to know whether or not that's the Holy Spirit, you're going to put him off. If it's just him worried about his buddies, he might bug you a little bit, but he'll quit bugging you. But let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit begins to get on him, he won't leave you alone. This is precisely what happens in Samuel. When God calls him He calls him and calls him, finally Samuel tells him what to say... He kept getting up because God won't leave him alone. And when your little guy or gal gets to the point where they just don't leave you alone, then I think then you're ready. Third thing is this. I really believe God gives parents an intuitive knowledge of when they're ready and when your child's ready. I think he gives that to you. He doesn't give it to me. He doesn't give it to your Sunday school teacher, his Sunday school teacher, her Sunday school teacher. He gives it to you. You really will have that, so don't sweat it. If your kid's 12 and they have them to come to Christ, don't start freaking out and playing Billy Graham Crusades while they're sleeping. <laughs> it's okay. God wants them to say more than you do. They'll be fine. Matter of fact, the later the better. The only reason I even deal with six-year-olds when people bring them to me, the only reason I do that is a pastor of First Baptist Dallas for years, uh, W.A. Criswell, was saved when he was six. But he did make an interesting observation He said, because I was saved at six, I doubted my entire life. So the older they get saved, the better. There's nothing wrong with that. They're going to be fine. They're in God's care, not yours. He's going to use you, but it's ultimately his end because he put them in your house. So I think you will know. So I think you want to work so they find Christ. Now, you want them to follow Jesus. I want you to walk with me a couple places here and I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you I want you to follow me all the way through if you fail in what I'm about to tell you you'll lose your children now listen carefully Number one, I want you to go to the book of Colossians. Chapter one. A matter of fact, the last question that was asked me in my exam when I was finishing up the coursework in the PhD before dissertation the last question they asked me said if you had one verse left to preach one pericope of scripture left to preach in the entire word of God what would you do? this is my choice now this is the first thing now I want you to hear me don't leave me I'm going to walk you through something they're going to face and you're going to have to give them what they need to face verse 13 Colossians 1 obviously talking about Christ He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, in Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That is the first thing you drive into your children, that nothing in the universe is more important than Jesus Christ if you have a passion about him and let me tell you this they're gonna believe what they see in your life they will line up with what they see and what they hear where those things match that's where they'll line up and that's what they'll take they'll take where what you say and what they see match they've got to see in your life that you live and breathe Jesus that he's the most important person in your life And that you love Him above everything. And the reason you love Him above everything is because He's above everything. He reconciled to you. He created you. He's done everything He can for you. You want your children to know there is a passion in you about Jesus Christ. Not just a word you talk about on Sundays. That He is what you live for through the week. And then it doesn't matter what He wants you to do. If he wants you to stay in the Brassus Valley, that's fine. If he wants you to go to Yemen as a missionary, that's fine. You don't care. You're just going to follow him because you love him because he is preeminent in your life. They need to know that. Number two. Go to 2 Peter. Hang a right. 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 20. Here's the second thing you're going to drive to your children. That they must see in your life. But know this first of all. No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Why? For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The second thing you're going to teach your children in that book, this book is absolutely true. The creator of the universe, through his spirit, wrote this book. He used men, but he wrote this book. Therefore, it is valid, it is inerrant, it is infallible. I don't care what your word you use. Jesus had the best description. He said the scripture cannot be broken. You want your kids to understand that everything in your life comes out of this book, that your home. How you treat your wife, how she treats you. How you raise them, what you do with them is based exclusively on the tenets inside this book. They've got to know that. They've got to be sure mom and dad are committed to the scripture and committed to taking these principles and implementing. Your money should be governed by this book. Your home governed by this book. Your business work governed by this book. Everything in your life is governed and driven by the principles inside here so that your kids see that and when they leave at 18 they know dad believe the book and live the book. Thirdly go to Matthew 16 My favorite place in Israel. Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 16, 15. Now listen. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So the Holy Spirit convicted him. I also say this to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower. The gates of hell will overpower any little league team in the world. The gates of hell can overpower any high school. The gates of hell can overpower any golf game. The gates of hell can overpower anything. There's only one entity in this universe that the gates of hell cannot overpower, and that's us in this room bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So your kids ought to know that. They ought to know that church is not just something, well, yeah, we got to go today, yeah. No, they ought to know that you are passionate about it, you're committed to it because you understand that the only promise in the Word of God that the gates of hell can't overcome is God's people united together under the banner of the cross. So, you're going to drive three things in your children through your mouth and your walk. Jesus... That book and the church. Why those three? Now, listen to me. Listen to me. When they leave your house at age 18, they're going to step into a world with two things they're going to make new friends. and they're going to run into professors that they respect and value, who are articulate and brilliant, both of which are going to be controlled by the culture they live in and that culture is going to mock three things in your kid's life. They're going to mock Jesus. They're not going to mock God. You can go out here and say anything you want to about God. But you breathe the name Jesus, people will back away from you quickly. Because it is Jesus that the world hates, not God. Allah, they think, is God. Jesus is a whole different ball game. Amen. <coughs> so they're going to mock him. Number two, they're going to mock this book. They're going to say something like, same thing they would about Jesus, almost identical. They'll say, well, Jesus, yeah, he's a good guy. He has some good teaching. But they're going to look at Jesus like we look at Gandhi. They're going to say, yeah, he's a good guy, but really, come on. Not the savior of the world. They're going to look at this book and say, "Yeah, it's got some good truth and it. it's got some great points, maybe some good principles." But listen, it is not written by God. You got to be kidding! Nobody buys that anymore. And thirdly, they will mock the church because they will make the statement, "It's <laughs> just a bunch of hypocrites, just a bunch of people." I'll never forget. I was working for Texas Refinery Corporation in seminary. I was. As a matter of fact, I told God in uh, my elementary school, I told somebody, I said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm not going to be a preacher or a janitor. I don't know why. I combined those two things, but I did. And so I'm at Texas Refinery Corporation in seminary, working my way as a janitor to become a preacher. So <laughs> when anybody tells me God does not have a sense of humor, I go, oh, yes, yes, he does. He probably wanted me to be the next president of the United States. We thought, nope, nope, we're changing now. God expects us to stand on these truths. Amen. And our, uh, our kids are going to hear all these truths vilified and mocked and made fun of. At which point, this is what I want. When the grow up in your home and in this church, all three will be life. I hope. Get to college, meet new friends, all three will be mocked at and laughed at. Here's what you want in your child. You want your child, as he gets here, now listen to me carefully, you want your child here to struggle. You want him to struggle. When these people make fun of his Jesus and make fun of that Bible and make fun of his church, I want your child, your son or daughter to struggle. I want them to look back and go, you know, this is not what I was taught by mom and dad. It's not what I was taught in the church I grew up. What they're saying to me is not what I heard. I want him to have a, or to have a struggle. What I don't want is if they grew up in a home where the parents said, yeah, Jesus, yeah. he's, You know, don't get carried away with all this Jesus. We're going to go to church, but don't get carried away. It's like cultic, being that serious about Jesus. And yeah, the Bible's true. I don't think it's as true as the preacher thinks. I'm not as radical as the preacher is. I think there's some mistakes in it. Just, just read it and just do what you need to do in Sunday school. And yes, yeah, son, and, and, and when he grows up realizing... He spent more time playing ball than he was in church. And he gets here, that won't be a struggle. When they say to him, you know, Jesus is a good guy, but he's really not God, he's going to begin to think, you know, that's really what my mom and dad taught me. When they start making fun of the word, he's going to go, you know, that's, that's what my mom and dad taught And when they mock the church, he'll think to himself, you know, we didn't really go that much. It wasn't that big a deal. We won once in a while, but really. And here's what will happen. If there is no struggle, he will turn and he will walk this way. If there's a struggle, where he's now divided, Between what he heard growing up, what he saw in the home, and what these people are telling him, what he sees, here's what he'll understand. If you brought those three things into your home, there will be a beauty, not perfection, but there will be a beauty of Christ and a fragrance and an aroma of Jesus in your home that he won't miss. And when he begins to watch their lifestyle and the hooking up and all the things that are going on down here, he'll look at this and go, you know what? That's not as good as what I had growing up. When he gazes on the fragrance of Christ in a home, these people won't win. losing our kids because we've forgotten how to disciple. Now, church, we have a responsibility to these kids. Number one, we need to value them. Last week we saw a bunch of parents on this stage all with kids because God gave them to us to value. Now I love, I love Alabama football. I do. Die. There are three of us in the room. I love Alabama football. Now I can, watching a game, particularly a national championship game, I can lose it. My wife, while I was watching Clemson, it was back and forth this year in Alabama, my wife said two words to me several times during the game. She would just look over at me and go, heart attack. <laughs> Which of course, being a husband, had no effect on me at all. That's for another sermon. Now, I love and I get excited during Alabama football. But when the day comes <sighs> that I have a deeper passion on Saturday afternoon than Wednesday afternoon my soul is not right we ought to have a passion about little kids coming forward and saying they know Christ. Out of that value, we need to affirm them. I know when there's a kid's musical, most of the time we don't come as adults. You ought to be there more when the kids are doing a musical than when anybody else in this room is preaching. Those kids need to be affirmed by you. They were given to you by the Holy Spirit by joining this church. So we need to affirm those kids. And thirdly, as a church, we need to transfer our faith. See this? It's the only thing. Unchangeable in this church. Methodology can change, clothing can change, my parents saw me preaching with a shirt tail out, it'd be a bad day. <laughs> Styles change, methods change, and I'm telling you, in 15 years it won't be this style of worship. Every church I've ever known, including this one, when we changed the paradigm of worship to what an older generation didn't like, my generation basically, we had a number of people that left. Now, at the end of the day, and I'm not going to apologize for this, but at the end of the day, the reason they leave any church is because they want what pleases them. It's not about what pleases you. It is about what transfers your faith to those coming behind you. And that is way more important than what you like or don't like. And I'm telling you, this thing's going to shift and come around. It doesn't matter. We're going to be open to changing anything and everything except this. Why is that so critical? I'm not going to do it again today, but a few months back when I was preaching on this, I had us raise our hands, and inside this room, with about this crowd, 96% of us were saved at age 18 and below. 4% of us. Saved 18 and above. So understand. Parents and church. We have an enormous responsibility. To help our kids find Christ. And to follow Christ. And raise a generation of kids. That when the world looks at them. And they hear all the funny stuff. When they look at them and see God's hand on their life. That will lead them to the one that made that possible Jesus Christ let's pray Father if there are families they need to come down here and kneel and pray today because they haven't been doing that Father even though it means they come down in front of these people let them respond to your spirit so the altering can occur in the home beginning this afternoon. For those here that do not know Jesus, Father, you speak to them. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to make the difference this morning. As God speaks, Father, we ask you to bless as only you can. In Jesus' name, we ask that. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, staff and I are here at the front. You need to pray about something. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. As He speaks this morning, you come.